Episode 190 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with fitness professional Matthew Fraxton. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 190 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I'm pretty excited today. Actually, I, um, I hooked up with one of a real, a real world-leading fitness professional, a guy called Matthew, Matthew Thraxton. I call him Matt Thraxton. Um, Matt is a guy who's been in the game for a very long time. He's achieved a lot in the fitness industry. He's travelled the world and worked in different parts of the fitness industry. Uh, it's a really cool interview actually I've already done the interview it's a really cool interview because there's lots of just insight we're just having two fitness professionals having a good conversation around fitness um, and there's just some really cool insight in there so I'm really looking forward to putting, giving that to you guys it's going to be coming on pretty soon uh, before I do but I just want to quickly talk to you about one thing in my life so in the last episode I talked about how that one dimensional thinking in your life that kind of one dimensional focus just put you know like when I talked a lot about my piano playing well Last time I was going to be performing two nights later. So before this episode, last or when we recorded the last episode, I was going to be performing, and then two nights later I performed with my band. It's the first time I performed with my band, particularly for our new songs. Um, but really, I've never really performed live in front of other people. I've probably four or five other times in my life. Um, I tell you what, it was so healthy for me. I was so so nervous and you've got to remember I'm a guy who stands in front of people every day of my life and as a leader as a guider as someone who educates people uh, public speaking I'm a very competent and very confident public speaker uh, fitness professional same thing but as a musician I'm not and it was a really interesting experience because I was so so nervous and my joke I've been telling everyone is that my hands were so shaky because I was so nervous. And when your hands are shaking, playing a piano is a pretty difficult thing to have to do. But that's the place I was in. And and I was kind of telling other people how, which we had, we, we did an open mic. So you basically get three songs, 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes to play your three songs. And the songs we chose, first one's a really easy song for me. Second one is the most complicated song I have to play when I'm playing. And the third is kind of a mid-range one for me. Well, in the first one, in the first song, which is the easy song for me, I was, oh, again, my hand's shaking like crazy. I'm nervous as, I'm self-aware. Pretty much kept my head down the whole performance. I didn't really have much stage presence. And all I'm thinking to myself is, why did we choose the second song? Like, that's what I'm thinking, just because I'm thinking, I'm just going to cock this whole thing up. Now, I made mistakes. I was far from perfect in my performance. But I'm really proud of myself. Because I'm willing to do the thing that makes me feel that nervous in life. And the thing I, the thing I understand is I've just got to get out there again. You know, like, it, it was far from perfect. Although I'm saying that, we got really good feedback and our songs, which are original songs, we got, you know, the feel from the crowd, we got good cheers afterwards, and yeah, and people were kind of genuinely, you know, because often when you do these things, people are pretty generous in their praise, but we got some real kind of like, oh my God, I couldn't believe that song was, you know, so good kind of stuff. So the music, I do believe we have good songs. But more importantly, on a personal journey, I haven't been this nervous about doing something in a long time. And nervous, so nervous that the performance is really hard. I just to keep myself composed through it. But I tell you what, how healthy is that for me? You know, how healthy is it for me to be in that place in my life? A guy who's quite competent and confident in, in many areas of my life, to have a moment where you're just that self-aware, that nervous, you know, just that concerned. And I think the the... the I'm proud that I'm willing to go there because I often think that as we get older, we just want to be safe. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person who puts himself in places where there is some risk. And not, not just like risk as in jumping off a hill risk, but as in risk as in like vulnerability. Um, and I'm also proud of the fact that I know I've just got to get out there and do it again. Like even though that moment was pretty scary, pretty self-aware, pretty your performance. I made mistakes. I definitely made mistakes. I was far from perfect. In myself, all I know is I've just got to get out there again. 
And it gave, and the other thing it gave me was it just gave me the ability to realize where I need to do some more practice, you know. So there was just really deep insight into it. I need to become a better stage presence. I look like a bloody, <laughs> like a deer in a spotlight. Um, I also need to just kind of um, practice playing my piano standing up because I often sit down and practice my piano or my keyboard. So just these little things that you're only going to learn when you go to that place. But also that, that thing of not being afraid to go back to that place even when the experience isn't amazing. Now, it wasn't totally terrible. There were some pretty cool moments in there. Uh, it was really nice to get a clap at the end, you know, to hear that cheer of the crowd. It was quite cool to be there with the other boys in the band. Um, you know, again, we got some good feedback. So, it, you know, it wasn't total terrible. But it was definitely a place that I need more of in my life. More of because it's going to make me grow. And I just wanted to share this with you because... I think it's really important, particularly for people who are listening to us who are a little bit older, to do things that scare the crap out of you. To do things where you're going to be, so, like seriously, I remember looking at my hands, and they're literally shaking. Like they're literally shaking, and I'm thinking, how am I going to play piano right now? And it, sometimes I was trying to push notes down, and my hands were shaking so much I would hit the wrong note. Like that's the place I was in. But for me, I see that as a valuable place in my life. And as a human who wants to be a better version of myself moving forward in my life. It's something I, I need more of. And sometimes when people are a certain level of competency and confidence in their life, they, they don't seek that place because they want to be safe. And I just wanted to share this with you because I want, you know, when was the last time you had that in your life? When you're really, and, and the thing about it was, no more practice was going to help me. I just needed to get up. Like I'd practice those songs enough. Like I knew the songs well enough. It wasn't that I was not prepared. I'm just not used to that environment. You need this in your life. We, we, you know, I tell you what, I felt alive. Jabers, creepers, felt alive. So I'm just kind of sharing this with you because I just want you to kind of think about your life. When was the last time you were kind of nervous about achieving something and nervous in a way that was really valuable for you, you know, and, and that you stepped towards it. And even in the moment, it wasn't perfect, but it didn't matter because you got up and you did it. You know, I, 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 always, I want to be someone who participates in life, I always talk about. When was the last time you did that? Because if you can do that more often in your life, like who knows what will happen with this music thing that I'm doing. But I tell you what, if, if we do build a fan base and we're performing live and, and it's a really awesome live performance, that moment was key. And I've got to have more of those moments so I can get up there and not be nervous and, and have a stage presence and perform the songs, how they're meant to be performed. So I just want to kind of share that with you before I jump into the main interview today. Uh, before I did jump into the interview, I just want to say thank you to a few of the patrons of the show. Uh, Wendy, the rock star Schaefer, Louise, the queen, the kitchen queen Crosby. We've got Ella, Boom Boom Powell Green. We've got DR Darren, Dangerous Busain. And then we've got Sarah, the Oracle Hill. These people are patrons of the show. What that means, they donate a little bit of their hard-earned money my way each time I release the show. And... I just want to say a big thank you to all the patrons because it really does make a difference in me getting the show out there. So if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com, go to the podcast section, see where it says support me and go through the process of paying or payment process and you can get a cool nickname and more importantly, you just support the show. Anyway, let's get into the interview with Matt Thrixton. Okay, team. So, uh, welcome to the show, Matt Threxton, who's based in China, but he's a he's a worldwide travelling leading fitness professional. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Hey, what so a, let, what a let, introduction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sharp. Uh, so let, let's just start with uh, what got you into a f the fitness industry. So I guess like like a lot of little local Honiton town schoolboys, when I which I was growing up in Devon, England, you know, I was, I was just into to sports and playing. So play football, athletics. You know, I was always skateboarding. When you come home from school, you're going straight out and playing with your friends. So I was lucky that I was always very fit, very active, lots of energy, and I loved sports. Um, and, and as the years sort of went on, and, and you're starting to talk about what you're going to do as a career, you know, when you speak to career advisors at school and and you choose what you're going to do for your A-levels. Um, physical education was the first thing that popped up. And I kind of, like I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Was it health club management? Was it physiotherapy? Was it be a PE teacher, um, a coach? I, I just knew I loved fitness and that's what I wanted to be involved in. 
and then, and then eventually you sort of started to do a little bit more coaching and the, these two things of fitness and coaching came together and, and I guess my real real passion for helping other people was when I started football coaching little kids um, and that was when I got offered the chance to go and move to America so I was a football coach and a high school PE teacher in the States oh really um, and I get oh wow yeah 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 so, so, so I went over just to, just to do the summer soccer camps um, and then got invited to stay. So basically one of the families at one of the camps, both of their sons went to West Carteret High School, North Carolina, and they didn't have a football coach or soccer coach. It was the the American football coach that was coaching the soccer team just because there was no one that could do it. Okay. So obviously the parents were passionate about football and uh, they wanted their kids to have a, a good coach and they wanted the school program to do well. And then where we traveled through that region, they, they said, you know, would you like to stay? And I said, yeah, well, why not? So, so I literally sort of had a, a backpack for six weeks, but I ended up staying and then sorting out the visa and, and becoming the high school soccer coach. Um, and then what you can do in the States is, you, you know, you can start to do substitute teaching and come in on the sort of lateral entry thing. So you don't actually have to be a, a qualified teacher at that time. Yeah. You can be learning to be a teacher, but okay. still be of some value. So I started doing substitute teaching and, um, and I think that's why I just sort of found a passion for coaching other people, helping other people. And it was just cool that it was also still in fitness. So I guess my two passions came together. Um, and in terms of the group fitness world, it was, it was, um, I was training at Gold's Gym. So I was at Gold's Gym. And then the manageress one day just said, hey, would you like to teach body pump? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was a typical guy. I lifted weights and I played football. You know, yeah. I didn't want to go to the aerobics studio. And uh, she goes, oh, hey, look, you know, we're, we're bringing this new program to the club. My husband's going to do the training. I think you'd be pretty good at it. Why don't you take take this video? It's a VHS video cassette, Body Pump 44. <laughs> take this video home, watch it, see what you think and let us know. And, uh, and, I, and I watched the video and, you know, it's Auckland One, huge studio. Mike McSweeney's on stage, uh, Michelle Bridges, this, this other guy, Lenny, these big, strong, you know, oiled up brown people on stage, something I'd never seen before. Mike's got these Oakley sunglasses on his head. He's got the bandana. He's got three wristbands, tiny little shorts, shaved legs. I mean, for this little, little white country boy from the UK, this was like a, a whole new world that I'd never seen. And it was just cool music and people were lifting weights and it it just looks like the room was going off. And so, so obviously I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll have a go at that. And then went on the training, was lucky enough to have a really good trainer that inspired me to, to want to be part of this Les Mills world. So I guess in a sense, just out of having a, a love for fitness, being in the States and then having this butterfly effect moment where the manageress tapped me on the shoulder and offered me a chance. You know, my whole life kind of moved into this group fitness Les Mills world. Yeah. So, so just before we go into the kind of some of the deeper stuff around you, kind of um, coaching and stuff, and just developing people, what do you learn with kids? Because I always think, as you were talking there, I was kind of thinking about a lot of people who love sport will go into like a PE teacher role. Or I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of people who love sport become physios. Um, and I often think that we're the lucky ones, as in the people doing what we do, because the great thing about what we do is we actually keep doing fitness with people doing fitness. And you look at like physiotherapists, and they often end up just working with old people with injuries they get sick of dealing with. Um, or PE yeah. teachers, they have to deal with a lot of kids who aren't actually interested in sport. Whereas our captive audience are people who actually really love movement um, and want to be moving more fast and really value what we do. So we kind of get the best experience of what we do. So just going back to when you were a PE teacher, what were and because there's so many parents who struggle with bringing activity into their children's life, especially in today's world, because mm. there's so many things working against that. What were just some of the things that you learned? Because it was also early in your kind of coaching development of yourself. Yeah, were the keys to making kids be successful, enjoy exercise, and you know some of those things. It's a, it's a really good question because I think at the time I might not have learned it as well as I probably should have instantly. But when I then look back on how I've got some more experience and I reflect, they're really, really big lessons that I've been able to carry with me. So I think the, the first one is, is I probably just took it a little bit too seriously. So one of the things when you're working with children is obviously you've got to make it fun and enjoyable and entertaining. And, and, and whereas I'm trying to develop these skills with them, I probably had this thing on my shoulders that, you know, I'm English and I'm teaching an English sport. It's football and I've got to make sure you get the right technique and, and I need you guys to take this seriously because it's an important game. And I probably just had a, a little edge of, you know, 
too much intensity in what I did. Mm. Um, and I was able to get that fueled because there's always several kids that are, that, that, that they're super passionate about being the best they can be. So you do get this group that, that feed off that and love it. Yeah. And that probably keeps you in that space. And what I probably didn't realize at the time was there's other kids on the fringe that do love doing this thing. They want to have a great time. They're probably just not quite as able or don't have the same intensity as, as, the, as the superstar kids. Um, so one of the big lessons was around just relaxing a lot more, not taking myself or what I'm doing so seriously and understanding that, you know, these young brains and young hearts and young minds, they, they need lots of praise, lots of encouragement. It's got to be fun. You want to keep it moving fast and, and, and allow them, you know, to just make mistakes and do things wrong and, 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 and not get too caught up in these finer details of, of, you know, the nuances of the sports or the nuances of technique. You can leave that for a, for a different time, you know, as, as, as they get older. And, and I think that's one of the things I thought around coaching just soccer was that, you know, for example, if I was to have a child now, I'd want them to do several different sports. So, you know, I wouldn't push them into a single sport because, you know, it'd be more, let's do dance, let's do gymnastics, let's do jujitsu, let's do martial arts, let's do tennis, let's do, go, you know, try everything as many times as you want, do all of it. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're 11, 12, 13, maybe you can start to specialize in something if, if we find something that you love. So I guess the, the broadening of those horizons and then the, the relaxing of making it a lot more fun. Um, and and it's interesting. Oh, it isn't easy to do. Yeah. Well, no, it's just interesting because I think one thing you also said there is a kind of, you kind of said that to understand that it's not about your needs, you know, mm. because you came in as a soccer coach with this kind of idea of, you know, my job is to get these, you know, and so you kind of came in trying to think about the needs. And I'm sure you were trying to do the best for the job at the time, but actually... You know, it's yeah, that yeah. understanding of the needs of the whole is, is, is so because so sometimes with adults of children, we think we know a bit what they need, and maybe that's not the case. <laughs> well, yeah, there's always there's always challenges with the parents, you know, when when you're when, when you're coaching, and like you say, you might get some coaching from the sideline or parents wanting to choose the team or tell you what's best for yeah. for their child, and that, that's quite a a good learning curve in, in in diplomacy, I guess, but then also in and in, in sticking to what you believe in, you know, not not in a ignorant, belligerent sort of way, but in a, you know, someone has to guide this this ship. You know, someone needs to be at the rudder. And if you're given that responsibility, then then you can't be swayed left, right by all these other different variables. You you have to have what you think is your vision and then stick true to that. And like you say, you're doing the best that you can with what you've got. Um, and people have trusted you with this role. So, yeah, but it's I, I always look back with fond memories, and I and I do miss coaching children because like you say a lot of what we do is adults and in the group fitness world you know we're teaching body attack body pump or personal training you know with it we're then dealing with adults and it, and it is a, a very big shift um and then you know even with like the, the launch that we have with this born to move program with the kids it's kind of reminded me again of you know just the fun factor of what we do and just how much influence we can have on these young minds and how somewhere along the line i was lucky enough to have something that influenced me to doing activity because my mum's not act, you know mum and dad they're not active fit people so dad's always had a, a manual labor kind of job so he's always been a big strong man yeah you know but, but he you know he's not played sport and done weight training and coaching or anything like like I do uh, and the same for my mum mum's not a, a sporty kid she, she you know she's she's very well read and and you know she's, she's got this real caring role where she looks after adults with learning disabilities and and, that, and that's where you know her, her, her sort of passion and, and value lie it's it's she's not in the fitness world at all so I had no role models from mum and dad to do sport or fitness um, they both smoked a lot dad drunk a lot they both had bad diets it's it's the complete opposite of how I sort of lived my life and and my brother's not into sport and fitness like I am and my sister isn't so I literally grew up in this environment where I've no idea where it came from yeah because something model. got me passionate about activity yeah. and and and, and I think it's that real old-fashioned ideal of, of I just had a group of friends that also like to be active. So like I said to you earlier before we, we jumped on, you know, I come home from school and the first thing you do is you dump your bag and you go back out, yeah. you know, and I'm over to the field and we're kicking a ball around or we're skateboarding or we're running. We're just doing kids stuff, you know, right, getting a BMX, riding a bike. And you don't think of it as fitness or activity. Yeah. You're just having fun with your friends. Um, and this, so, this, so I don't this, really you know. There's really some good insight there, but isn't there? Because if you think about, you know, if if you give your children the opportunity to be in the right environments, 
Uh, and if the leaders in that environment to understand this things like it's a fun environment, it's inclusive, you can make mistakes, you know, it's more about getting you moving. And sure, as they get older, the ones who are cream will go to the top. But it's that thing of the right environment, and if they make good friends around that, the thing they're going to do with their friends is be active. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that those, the, the two things out of that is that, that positivity and, and that community. And, and I know you talk a lot about community and building connection. Mm. And, and, I've, and I've listened to a lot of stuff that you do that, that's really changed how I look at, at that space of of the importance of the sociability of what we do, you know, whether it's adults or children yeah. and, and connecting and making it a positive environment. Um, and, and I sort of think back to some of my early teaching days, you know, and, and I was like many guys, I wanted to be Mike McSweeney, so I wanted to be staunch and strong and athletic and you're almost bullying people a little bit, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and I could do it with a smile and a bit of a twinkle in my eye and a little bit of charm, so you sort of get away with it. But when you look back on it, you think there's probably a bunch of people that just either got turned off of doing this thing because you're a bit mean or just thought you were a bit of a dick and, and just didn't come back. Yeah. And you think, you know, if you could go back and do it all again or what would you have learned? It is around just that celebration of, you know, the, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for the opportunity to, to train with you. I'm going to make you feel good. I'm going to make it a positive environment, lavish you with praise and encouragement. So, you know, this this 45 minutes or this one hour you know, you, has been of really good value to you both physically because it's a workout, but also that mental and spiritual side of things. Um, and, and that's a big learning for me. So so going back to sort of looking at the, the children side of things, it is it is just lavishing with praise and encouragement and, and, you know, doing everything you can to make them want to come back and do it again and again and again. Because so the last thing you want to do is, is do something or say something that turns a child off of activity, you know? Yeah, for sure. But, but you're right, that, that having the friends around you you know it's I'm, I'm sure it's a really difficult road for someone to get into fitness when they don't have the support of, of anyone around them you yeah. know doing the same thing hey, i can't so, imagine what that's like so one thing i have a lot of respect for you and and, and uh is your ability so with this, just for those who don't know I, we work in the les mills world and there's different roles you have and both luckily matt and i've kind of achieved all the levels that we hope to achieve within the business um but one of the roles we do is train other instructors so we go around the world and and locally and we kind of do these things called modules and a kind of like a two-day three-day intensive training on getting these people prepared to be an instructor and uh the, the role's called being a trainer and matt has always been a trainer uh, and a very successful trainer, and, and I'll kind of just—I'd love to see your insight into what it takes to be a great facilitator slash trainer. And, and for those that don't really get what it means, it's how do you get the best out of people, and what do you bring to that? Because there's a model that we work under, but you—I've heard really great feedback about that. You're—you know—you're one of the people who just gets the best out of your people when you train. So, what perspective do you take to that role? What what strategies? How do you get the best out of people? Good question. Well, well, thank you for the praise. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> I true. That, mate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think obviously, obviously, there's a, a huge chunk of what we do is 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 that structure, that format that's given to us. So, you know, so we're able to stand on the shoulders of a really solid system that you know pretty much takes us eighty percent of the way there. Yeah. And 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 anyone that can learn that system and deliver that system it is going to produce some good quality instructors. Yeah. And so, I think that gives you a lot of confidence, but. But what you do have to do is make sure that you do really learn that content. So for, for me, I'm someone that always probably over prepares. So I'll read the manual three, four, five extra times. You know, I'm sitting on the toilet reading the manual. I'm watching the DVD more times. I'm scripting what I'm doing. So those early years, I was probably a little bit very anal, very obsessed and did so much preparation that when I then got to the training, I wasn't worried about am I doing the right thing? Am I delivering the right content? You know, what's the next section? How long am I going for time? I didn't have to worry about any of those things because I really had that dialed in. So I think that what allowed me to do is, is actually be really present in the training and actually see what was going on in front of me and, and notice if someone was sitting more in the back corner most of the time or notice if if someone was looking tired or if someone started to play with their phone or you know if, if someone took more toilet breaks or you know I'm, I'm watching human behavior and, and I, I'm able to assess that because I'm not thinking about the actual product I'm delivering because that's ingrained. Mm. And, and I think wh wh where I come from is I'm, I was always really keen to, to be very natural, authentic to me. I didn't, you know, as, as you may well know, in, in, in the early years of Les Mills, there was a very, there was a big resistance to this thing because of it was you, you Les Mills people are just robots, you know, and all you do is follow these key elements and follow this structure and everyone says and does the same thing. Mm. So I was always very keen to make sure that when I was training people, 
you know, I, I instilled in them the values of you've got to be yourself. It's not about just learning this system. If you just repeat the system, you do become a robot. And, and I really wanted to try and squash that that feeling out there in the industry of that's what our people were. So I, so I probably just tried a little bit extra hard to give people that allowance to be natural, authentic, to, to bend the rules a little bit, be a bit quirky. You know, I, I, I tried to make sure I had some fun stories so I could break up the day. Um, and I and I have little engagement things and and I guess in a way you, you you're kind of you're kind of learning the system so well that you know you're able to deviate a little bit every now and then when when the training needs it because you're trying to deliver an experience that gets the best out of the people in front of you. So if you're not actually able to react, if you can only stick to the scripts, then you're not really coaching people. Mm. You're just delivering a formula. Um, and I, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's funny because I was talking to someone recently about this thing because, you know, in China, there's this one child policy for a long time. So, yeah. so I'm around a lot of people that are, you know, no, no brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I'm really having this conversation a lot because I've got a brother and sister. And there's a real change in dynamics of how people grow up when they don't have siblings. And and, and for me, I, I grew up in a pub. So mum and dad owned a pub. Okay. And so literally, I'm, get, I'm always getting handed around strangers the whole time. You know, they're sat down, they're drinking, and they throw the baby to the next person, yeah. the next person. Someone else is babysitting me. So I think I just grew up in this environment where I was around people a lot. And and, and having a brother and sister meant, you know, you're, you're sharing, you're communicating, you're connecting, you're arguing, you're experiencing. And so the world I lived in was 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 around people, you know, not, not just sports stuff. It was just, you know, in the pub, in the restaurant. When we'd walk down the street, people would stop mum and dad because they were well known because they owned the pub. Everyone, everyone wants to know the guy that owns the pub. You know? <laughs> but um, I, I think that meant that I developed these skills in, in a social setting, and, and you know, and, and I'm able to communicate well with people. I feel like I've got good empathy, and, and I can and I can assess behaviour, and and that's probably something I've just generally learned over the years. Whereas, you know, that might not be a skill if if, if you're someone that's not in an environment growing up around a lot of people or or with brothers and sisters. Um, maybe that's a skill that isn't developed or you have to try harder to develop that. Um, it's, it's an interesting topic because I can't put my finger on what that skill is or, or how it developed. It was just this conversation I had recently about the single child policy, um, you know, and, and this whole thing about whether you what, what are your on. best when you're collaborating with other people yeah. or when you're working on your own. Um, it's interesting about because I, I wrote down some key, just kind of as you were talking, I wrote down four things. I wrote that A, you respected the role, and I wouldn't mind going deeper into that. Um, B, you gave them freedom. Uh, you had great awareness of what was in front of you, and then you showed great understanding. And that's kind of the four things that seem to come through in your answer there. I'm just going to, I love this idea of as a leader, respect the role. Because um, I often think that a lot of people get given opportunities as leaders, and at first they respect the role. And then the longer they stay in the role, they, they get lazy and disrespect the role. Um, and I think that in, in our game, we see that a lot. We see people, when they first start their career, they do that kind of really high level. And then the longer they stay in the game, they just get lazy and they kind of live on yesterday's tricks. Um, and I've never got that from you. I've always got that you are, you know, even to this day, I'm sure, I'm sure you don't need to read the manual five times, but I'm sure you do the work to respect yeah. the role. Um, why is it important to you? And why, you know, why do you think it helps you be more effective at the role? It's, it's interesting because there's there's a big part of respecting the role in terms of the integrity of knowing what's gone before you came here. So, you know, for us in, in this this Les Mills world, you know, there's there's that 25, 30 years of heritage of some incredible legends that, that you and I both look up to in the industry that were pioneers. You know, they, they, they carved this thing out and then we rock up and sit on their shoulders and take half the credit, you know, so, so I was very mindful that it's a privileged position and I'm, I was very fortunate and, and, and for me it kind of came out the blue so th so that kind of gave me even more of a a, a bit of a, a wow factor of what this this big vehicle thing was and and then when you you actually become friends with some of these legends and you understand more about what they went through and, and the roller coaster you know of the journey they had back in the day I think it just gives you that real respect of what we're part of and, and the fact that it is infinitely bigger than us you know so as important as you might be hey i'm a trainer and i'm delivering these two days and you know i've, I've got my trainer jacket on and people think i'm cool that's completely not important you know what you are is you're you're part of this much bigger more important thing and you're, you're kind of bestowed with this honor of of carving out a chapter for two years five years ten years twelve years whatever it might be 
and, and, and my example that I link that back to is the All Blacks jersey. You know how, how the, you know, there's that story about the All Blacks jersey. You know, you're, you're just looking after it for, yeah. for your time until you pass it to the next generation. So, so you don't want the next generation to look back on what you did with it in, you know, in any sort of disrespect or disdain. And, and, so and, and on top of that, they even say it's, it's to leave it as a bit of jersey. <laughs> You know, so, you know, like, it's not just, you're just holding on to it. Your job is to improve that juicy while you're in it. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I love that. So, so I think that that is, and that's good because, because it's, as you know, having a bit of purpose and value in your own life is to feel like you're part of something that's leaving a bit of a legacy or, you know, that the whole cliche of leave the world in a better place than when you left it. It's, it's very true, you know, yeah. in, in all these areas. So I did have that and I, and I felt like I had, you know, it, it was important for me to, 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 to honor that the, the second side of that is also to, to get the trust and respect of people in front of you for yourself so you know you got to make sure that you do a really good job because you don't want people to lose trust or respect in you because then the message that you're trying to deliver will not get received mm. and so in a sense by not honoring yourself in that way you also dishonor the, the heritage and the culture of, of the position that you've got um and and i think the third the third thing is it's kind of funny because like I just touched on earlier, somewhere along the line, I, I started hearing this resistance to Les Mills, people saying that we're just robots, personal trainers not liking group fitness, they're talking it down, people saying body pumps not real weight training, you know, freestyle fitness instructors saying that Les Mills people just learn choreography and deliver it, they've got no creativity, they've got no personality. Uh, and I just really took umbrage at that for some reason. And I think it wasn't like a conversation I had with other people, it just really hit my heart for some reason. And I had this thing in my head that I had to roll my sleeves up and I was going to be the warrior against this. And I was going to prove to people that you can learn a robotic five key element system and still be really cool and charismatic and fun on stage. You know, you can create an experience that's that's so much better than the 10 instructors that are also on your schedule that are also delivering body pump. Mm. You know, so there's got to be something that you can do to elevate this experience. And and I think about that with my trainings, you know, I. The last thing I would want is for a room full of people to say, oh, that guy just learned a script and delivered it and it was a Les Mills robot. And anytime we asked him a question, he gave us a real corporate answer or, the, or a real standard answer that didn't actually hear or feel what I was saying. So I, I guess in a way it's those, those three things. But that, that last one was kind of this one man crusade, you know, to prove the world wrong that you, you, you could be creative, you could be charismatic, you could, you know, have your individual answers to, to solutions, you could create these trainings that were memorable over and above just following a system. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think fortunately I've over the years, I've, I've, I have had that bit of feedback a few times where people say, you know, that you're very natural on your trainings and that they felt like it was a warm and safe environment. And it wasn't the sort of the, 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 the tick box approach that they thought it was going to be. Um, but there's also, it's a really interesting point because we talk about leadership and ultimately leadership is we're trying to take someone to a higher level, you know, to take them to a place where maybe they didn't go, know they could go to or guide them towards that. And it's fundamental, isn't it? That trust and that safety from a leader is such an important part to allow people to open up to going to that place. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you look at, you look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. you know, trust is right at the base of that pyramid and, and, and so, so important. Um, and I think for me, like I touched on with this whole early stage of my career when I was a little bit staunch, a little bit aggressive, it was kind of everyone had to have perfect technique, everyone had to lift big weights and you know that it was very it was it was it was too elitist, it wasn't inclusive. Mm. Um, and I think you know the, the early years we might have created some really pioneering inspirational people through that way, but how many people did we lose? you know and and, and we know now that when you're coaching individuals, you know, people learn when they feel safe. They learn better when they're trusted. You know, when 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 they're able to make mistakes and and not get criticised too hardly for it. And you give give them permission to grow. Um, and, and I think in that space, it was it was just letting go of some of those silly little details that I might have held on to. Because because when you're looking at an individual, like say you, your role is to have some impact, and and to push them somewhere to better. You know, like you said, somewhere they they can't get to on their own. There might be three, four, five things that you identify that could be worked on, but if you focus on all of those or you focus on the two wrong things, you're not getting the best value of that session. But if you're able to identify the, the main gap, the key point that's really going to help them grow and develop and focus on that, you know, you're going to get more value. And, and I think that was a, a key skill that I learned 
along the way is identifying what is actually really most important. What can I let go of? Mm. And then how can I deliver this in a way that's still going to keep this person's heart whole? You know, they're still going to feel like I'm a good guy. I've got their best interests and they trust me, but I've got to be able to find the gap of something they need to improve on. Um, so I guess it just became a bit more of a, a two-way conversation in a training rather than a one-way direct conversation. And then that kind of opened up a much, much bigger area for growth for people. I, I saw people develop so much better when they had some some input into their growth and development. It wasn't me just telling them what to do. Personally, like, because I'm sure, you know, the reward of it is that you saw better growth and development. But how much of it was you letting go of some ego to allow yourself to go to that place? A, a lot. Yeah, and, and, and I, yeah, I'd underline that point as well. I, I definitely feel that now I'm living in this space these last few years where I've, where I've trained trainers. I've really been able to notice those trainers that do have a, a bit of an ego or they're, they're stuck in the old school mentality of, of doing things very direct, very bullyish. Um, and, and it's just so evident, you know, and, and absolutely I think there was some of that in me. Um, and, and it is something that, it's, it's, it's a really it's a really difficult thing, especially with sort of alpha male people that, that I see, because naturally we, we want to solve the problem. You know, mm. we, we want to be the guy, the go to guy that has the answer. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, Matt helped me with that. He gave me the answer. And that might be a little short term solution. You might get a short jump in improvement. But when you let go of that ego and you make it a conversation and you make it about the best interest of the other person, not the interest of you proving how much you know yeah. or you know you fixing the problem when you just allow it to happen through the conversation with them they get this growth that's it's larger more sustainable growth um and i think it helps them develop a way of growing on their own time as well so it's that it's that whole thing of they've now got some skills where they can learn and develop in their own time they don't always need to come back to you for an answer mm. so you're creating this person that has the mean you know it's that give a man a fish teach them how to fish kind of quote, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and, and, and I guess I never really understood that that well in the early days, but you're exactly right. That's something now that, that I definitely think we can all, well, well, even, even if you take the ego away, because I think one thing that's really interesting about this is that we are in a world, we are leaders in a world. And so lots of people come to us for answers. Um, and mm. we often know the answer. That's the thing, isn't it? Like when these people, you, you know, it's right there in front of us. And, and, and so there's a, there's a little bit of the evolution of letting go of ego and understanding it's about helping them find their answers. But also it's kind of just easy for us to provide the answer. And so it's also just learning to kind of have a process to pause really as well, isn't it? It's a hundred percent, mate, and it, it is. That's when it's really difficult when you absolutely know the answer, yeah. and, and what you need to try and do is, is you know, have that that conversation where you're coaching them to come to that answer that you know, you know, and obviously they, you know, they feel really good about the fact that they discovered the answer. But there, there's a little tool that we use, um, and I'm not actually sure where it comes from, but it's this CC glasses thing where you look at competence and and confidence and i know i know you know this but but maybe some people yeah, listening might not have come across this before but you're basically looking at someone and assessing how confident are they in terms of how good do they feel they can do this thing and then obviously how competent they are have they actually got the skill set mm. and you know and if you've got someone with very low confidence and low competence so they're not they don't feel like they can do it and they've not got the skills to do it absolutely you can be a bit more direct because they need you to give them some answers to get them started but when you're dealing with someone that has got a lot of confidence and competence, you know, they're in a position where they can self-assess a lot more. And so the, the conversation there will be very much different to, to, you know, so you're a bit more supportive and you're a bit more coaching as opposed to directing and telling people. So, it's, yes, it's not always a black and white science, but it's it's really interesting thing to learn and develop. Um, and I think that the, the cool thing is when you re when you see that you've got it right and you've, you've tried to have a. Uh, you know we call them these sort of coaching conversations with someone to lead them somewhere when they actually get there you can see it in their eyes that they just feel so good about themselves yeah. that they got there themselves all you did was ask a couple of key questions or challenge something a little bit but you can't do that with someone that's low confidence and low competence you know because yeah. they're not they don't have the ability yet to self-assess in that way and you'd probably just crush them, crush them even more so it's, it's a delicate skill but that's a nice little cc glasses model that can help you, you know. But, and and again, it's going back to one of, one of the four things I wrote down before, because I was it respect the role, great awareness, um, freedom and understanding. And it's like, 
to be a great coach, you need to have good understanding because then you can actually see where they sit within that range and what kind of skills and abilities and confidence. Yeah. You know, it's that ability to actually kind of assess that to be able to guide them, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it's and it's probably something through experience, isn't it? It's it's kind of you can you can read coaching books and you can you know yeah see how Rafael Nadal's coach coaches him, or you can go do adult learning courses and you know all, all that good stuff that you can fill your toolbox with but i think ultimately you, you've got to roll your sleeves up and get in there and do some of this work and and, and unfortunately maybe make a few mistakes you know and, and learn and grow through that mm. but it is it is something that it's it's you know a, a lot more interesting and fun than just the black and white you know beginner intermediate advanced or you know yeah what you know two different coaching styles fits all yeah. Well, one thing I think it's a uh, respect for you as well is I, 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 I've watched you do your work on the Les Mills DVDs over the years, and um, I just always love the way that you always evolved. Um, like every time you went back, you added, and not you know, like in our game, for those who don't know, the Les Mills world, we do these DVDs and they kind of get sent around the world. No, they're a big thing in our, in our small world, but um, you know, you, you always, we go back to respect the role really, isn't it? You always came up as a higher level from what you were the last time. And you always bought, I remember watching you talk about how, this is before the video, you were saying, oh, I, I've been looking at what they've been doing in powerlifting and I've really tried to bring this into it. You know, you, you know, tell me, obviously just that kind of, I need to be evolving something is really important to you. Yeah, I think, I think somewhere in the early days, I would have seen someone on what, these DVDs present and then when I talked to them afterwards it seemed like it was a different person and 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 I don't want to go into any names yeah, you know of, yeah. of any negative stories but, but there definitely was that learning moment where I thought oh I don't want to be that yeah and, and that kind of coupled with this whole Les Mills robot thing that I was fighting against so I was always going to be a little bit more pushy in terms of being authentic natural and trying to be remembered for something over and above just following the system because because I thought that added value to the product. I, I thought that that got us to more people. It made it more exciting. You know, I thought it was a good thing to show. And and yeah, and, and that that understanding of not wanting to be someone that, you know, for example, if you saw me do a track on a filming and then we sat down and had a coffee afterwards, you, you'd think I was the same person. Yeah. And that was really important to me. I, I, I really had had this bad feeling in my gut about talking to someone that just seemed to be a completely different person to when they were on stage. And, and I get when you're on stage, you are an amplification of yourself. So you are a bit more animated, yeah. a bit more exaggerated. You might do a few things you wouldn't normally do, but it's it's only an extension of you. It's not like a complete opposite shift. And, and that's what this person had, a bit, a bit of a shift. So, so there was that that I, I learned from that negative experience of that's what I definitely don't want to be. And then it was that thing of, of like you say, learning, evolving, or adding value. So it was when I watched these Les Mills filmings, I'm inspired by people that teach me something new. And so when I hear a cue that I've never heard before, I think, oh wow, that's really awesome. Or when I see someone use music in a way that I'd never thought of, or connect with people in a different way, I just steal all that stuff and I use it in my classes and then I try and make it my own. So I was really keen to try and say, even if it was just one or two cues or a look or a move, that they had that the instructors watching hadn't seen before so they 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 learned something new and you know and and, and by making it memorable it, it you inspire people to, to do that themselves and then they can go off and do something like for me it was like that first filming i did i i, I threw the bar up and dropped it and caught it on my foot yeah you know, like in football you throw the ball up yeah. and catch it you know and even now people still talk about that it's a stupid little thing it was no big deal yeah but it's part of the system that's not part of the box you know and, and yeah. i even remember at the time you know, Glenn wasn't super happy that I did it, you know, because he thought it was just a bit of circus tricks, you know, and he's very much, we're about the workout, we're yeah. about the music and stop pissing around. You know, let's just do that. And then, um, but it was me and, and it was kind of, what that's done is it's unlocked permission in so many other people to try that themselves. And they're not going to do the same thing. They're going to do their version of yeah. something quirky or performance. So I was really keen because, because as, as the years sort of progress, you, you're watching these people on, on film and, and I was just less and less inspired by some of the presenters, to be honest. And, and I was looking, searching for the musicality, looking for the cue I'd never heard, you know, how to interact with teammates that was a new way, um, something that was inspiring. And yeah, they're, they're fit, they're strong, they're athletic, there's good coaching, it it's, ticks the boxes and follows the system. I just felt like something was lacking and I wanted to be the person that, that provided that. Um, and then, of course, that release that you film, 
I'm actually going to be in three or six months later training instructors on it. Mm. So I'm going to stand in front of 20 people in a room and I'm going to be telling people, this is how you teach body pump. This is how you, this is what your technique should look like. These are the layers of coaching. And if I'm going to say to someone, you know, what's your layer two advanced cue that you're going to deliver that's going to enhance the experience for someone and I don't do it myself, that makes me a fraud. Mm. So when I'm so before that class when I'm filming, I'm I am thinking what is the cue that I'm going to deliver now, that when I'm standing in front of twenty instructors teaching them, they're going to go, oh man, that's awesome, yeah, because what you're telling me to do, I just saw you do that on the TV ten minutes ago. So there's the trust, the value, yeah. the belief, personal credibility, and ultimately, exactly, and ultimately you then create better instructors. So, so you you know you're spreading this whole wave of 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 improved value and quality in the product you're delivering. So it's, it's really interesting how it all sort of ties together. And, and, you know, the bar drop was one silly little thing. I did an eyebrow thing, but then there's also really, in, you know, in, in intelligent coaching. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah, great, use great language. And, and powerlifting, yeah. and, you know, and I do a bit of CrossFit and then I work with kettlebells and TRX. And I'll think, you know, so one thing for me was, was we really, in the chest track, we talked a lot about squeezing the chest and pushing the bar. We, we didn't talk so much about what you're doing with your shoulder blades. So, so up until my release, there wasn't a lot about, you know, driving the shoulders back into the bench to create a really strong base. But if you go to a powerlifting coach, the most important thing in a bench press is how you set your shoulders, mm. you know, drive them into your shoulder blades, into your spine, shoulders are down away from the ears, and, and you drive that into the bench just like you drive your feet into the floor in a squat. So you're thinking of your upper body platform as your legs in a squat. And this whole thing about however hard you drive the bar up, you want to drive your shoulders back down into the bench. So you're pushing in the opposite way. So then this sort of stuff started coming into the coaching and it just made it more authentic to weight training and elevated the quality of, of body pump. You know, and, and, and Glenn talks about it when he talks about splitting the floor in a squat, mm. driving your feet down and apart, imagining you're ripping the floor in half below you. That's a powerlifting cue. That's how you engage your posterior chain more, you know, your glutes, hamstrings, and you get more power to drive out of the ground. You create torque by driving the knees out. We never did that in body pump. We never did that. Mm. We, you know, loads of body pump instructors did weight training, but for some reason when it comes to teaching group fitness, we just fell back into the group fitness world. Yeah. So yeah, I, th I think that that sort of stuff's great, and, and you know, and I see that with you because you you know you're up there on stage as an Ironman triathlete, and it's like that's a whole new world of level of you know of training and intensity and understanding of your aerobic system and train and you know your body even stuff like your body's repair and recovery. You know, the, the knowledge you can then give your participants or your instructors just helps them to be better, helps them to have a better experience, um, and 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 any time I can hear or or bring knowledge into this group fitness world, I, you know, it's got to be a good thing. And, and it's not, you know, it's not nine times out of 10, it's not me. It's something I've heard someone else or read somewhere else. So, you know, it's, it's not like I want to take credit for being really good at something. I'm just passing on knowledge and I, I just want our programs in this group fitness world to be seen as authentic training programs and, and, and to be given credibility and respect not just in the aerobics world, but also in the, you know, the fitness world and sports world and personal training world. Yeah. So to, just on a personal level, you, you're uh, been an exerciser, you know, you, you know, you've been in it for a long, long time um, and a high level exerciser and a very fit man. What's the key to having a sustainable love of exercise where you are still growing? Because you can see, like I, I watch you on your Instagram and stuff like that, you're still killing yourself in the weights room and stuff like that. And you're, <laughs> you know, like you don't, you don't muck around. Um, but you know, like there's a, I often think about there's a lot of people who, so there's kind of a few categories. The person who's not exercising at all, the yo-yo person, the person who's got the habit yeah. but never, never really gets any results. Um, and then, you know, someone like you who been at it a long time, achieved a lot with exercise, but still is seeking a higher level through exercise. So what do you, what's the key to being that person who is that lifetime exerciser, but still is growing? Yeah, that's that, that could be a really, really deep conversation. That one, I think <laughs> let's go there. <laughs> I, Cause it's something, I know it's something you're super, super passionate about and, and, and it is for me. And I, and I think this journey, you know, if, if I was, if I was to give you a short term start and stop, you know, I started doing fitness because I wanted to look and feel better. You know, I wanted to be fit, strong, athletic and, and be attractive. And, you know, all those selfish personal reasons yeah. that you, you sort of start on that journey. It, it, it wasn't so much about health. 
it was more about you know aesthetics yeah and and where i am now it's so much about mental health so that's the short start and stop and during the middle of that there's been this roller coaster journey of finding different modalities and different ways to train different things i'm interested in trying to grow and develop into new places so for example i've, I've nearly always lifted weights so i've always been passionate about strength training and conditioning by lifting a barbell or dumbbells and i like how that changes the physique um, and then as you learn and grow you understand that also helps with bone density and your posture and you know and and even now in your older years moving past 40 then you've got the testosterone you know your testosterone is reducing so if you're not actually doing strength work you know you're going to age quicker and so you, then you've got one eye on the future so something as simple as weight training the knowledge and understanding of why i'm doing it and how that benefits me has changed over the years um, and, and that's had to be active research. I've had to find that because any times when I've got bored of training, so I did bodybuilding for a while and then just fell out of love with it. And I don't know why, just one day I just did not want to go in the gym. So I, it's okay. Well, if I want to continue to exercise, I need to find something else that I enjoy. So I think a key message there, not just the, the learning and growth of what we're doing, you know, and the personal understanding of how that benefits me, it's also finding something that I enjoy doing. So for example, I, I've never done an Ironman. I've never done an Ironman. I've never done a triathlon, but I've ridden 160k around Lake Taupo twice. Yeah, nice. I've done that event because I love riding a bike, yeah. but I hate running. You know, and I know you're passionate about running, and, yeah. and that's totally cool that me and you can live in two different yeah, worlds totally. of yeah. fitness. But if you were to say to me, Matt, hey mate, if you want to be fit and healthy, you've got to come with me on a run. It wouldn't help me get fit and healthy because mm. I, I don't even do five minutes on a treadmill. I'll sit on a rowing machine for 20 minutes. I'll sit on a bike for hours and hours. Mm. So this whole prescribing programs of, of what people should do is, is, is very delicate procedure. And, and personal trainers and, and fitness professionals, we've got a real responsibility in helping people find what works for them, not prescribing just what we think is best. So, so that's an example of, you know, if you give someone exercise to do that they don't enjoy, chances are they won't adhere to it. Yes, it would get them fit, but if they're really down and they hate it, are they going to continue long term? So... Over the years, I've found different things I've enjoyed for different reasons. So at the moment, I'm doing a lot of, of yoga-style training and, and, and body balance. I'm doing more meditation. I'm doing a lot more stretching and mobility. Um, I'm on the kettlebells and the TRX a lot more. But you're right, I still do the strength work with the barbell because that's at the core of what I love. Mm. But instead of the bodybuilding training, I moved into Olympic weightlifting where I'm doing the clean and jerk and the snatch. Mm. So all of a sudden, after 20 years of lifting weights, I'm learning a brand new skill that I suck at. Yeah, and, nice. and believe me, I'm, I'm not great now, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enough to fool the average person. You know, yeah. you can look at my Instagram and go, oh yeah, he's okay. But if a weightlifting coach looked at it, they'd go, oh my God, there's so much <laughs> wrong with that. But I love that, you know, and yeah. I go to my coach and, and I feel like an amateur. I feel like a beginner and I'm learning new. And that, and like you said, that learning and developing of new stuff is, is what keeps me excited and keeps me interesting. Well, I think it's, it's funny because so I'm giving advice to other people. Okay. It is find something you enjoy. Don't don't just do what the magazine tells you or some personal trainer might tell you because it's what they believe in. Experiment with lots of different stuff and find something you actually enjoy. You're more likely to stick to that um, and learn, grow and develop. Find the reasons why you're doing it and, and research and understand because when you have a bit more knowledge about what you're doing, I think you get a bit more interested in it. Mm. You know. Well, I think also what you've said there as well is learn when you start to disenjoy something. You know, because I think when we get a lot of people who have the habit, but actually aren't really getting any value from the habit, it's just just staying with yesterday's tricks. And one thing you identified really clearly with there was I, I just you know bodybuilding. Just one day I woke up and it wasn't my thing anymore. But you yeah. didn't stay at it for any longer than that. And you're, I just need to shift my attention somewhere else. I need to spend some time finding the next thing. And then you find the next thing, you find that mojo, and you get back to that place where you're a bit scared about exercise again because you're, you're not great in this area. You know, and that's, that's what kind of stimulates the spark, isn't it? And, and it's a humbling experience as well because, you know, like you, I've been involved in, in health and fitness for so long. You know, do, do we know what it feels like to be a beginner? You know, do we know what it feels like to be to be overweight, unhealthy, on the couch for 20 years of your life, yeah. and then what? And then finally the doctors convinced you you really should be exercising, so you've plucked up the courage. You know, It's taken you another three months to get the courage to even walk into a gymnasium yeah. to speak to someone there and, you know, and, and walk through the door. 
Um, and then you're speaking to some guy in a tight t-shirt with big biceps, you know, and then this beautiful girl walks past and then there's yeah. all these mirrors everywhere. Yeah. And we're thinking, wow, man, like how does someone do that? Like, how do we help that person? That's a, that's a, that's a jump that I've never had to do. But for me to be successful in what I do, I need to be able to empathize and, and understand. Um, and I think things like learning a new skill, even things like having a couple of weeks off over Christmas and then coming back to that first workout, the, the COVID virus, you know, that my first class back, you know, I was nervous and apprehensive about yeah. my fitness. And, and I had to flip the script and be like, it's not about me. It's about the people in the room. Mm. And all of us have done nothing for two months, so we're all unfit. So let's just celebrate that and go, okay, we're back on this journey. You're not going to be as fit as you were. It's going to take you five, six, seven weeks to move back towards that place. Don't worry. Give yourself permission to ride slowly. Have low resistance. Take more breaks. So I think that empathy and understanding is, is really big. And, and, and I think in the fitness industry, you know, typically over the years, we've not done a very good job of helping absolute beginners or really deconditioned people or people with poor mental health, bad confidence. We've been very good at making people that are quite fit a little bit fitter. Mm. You know, and, and, and in our industry, we, we, we're great at high intensity. We're great at moving people more often. You do three classes a week. Now you do five classes a week. Yeah. Now we add in high intensity. Now we add in another workout. You know, are we really actually growing the population of people that are brand new to exercise? You know, you know, and, and, and I think that's an area that I'm, I'm trying to work more on. And I know you do that with your, with your couch to 5K. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I've seen you do talks, um, you know, around this, this exact thing. And, and I think that's where it triggered something for me. You, you did a talk where you said, as, as you know, as, as a fitness professional, one day you, you had a conversation with Mid Thomas and you just suddenly realized we're doing a shit job. Yeah. We're not yeah. really doing a very good job. Yeah. Yeah. If we're honestly trying to get people fit and healthy, where's the evidence? Yeah. Because obesity is on the rise, heart-related disease on the rise, childhood obesity. We've got all these gyms opening up around the world, more and more gyms than, than there's ever been in the world. There's not more and more people exercising than yeah. there's ever been in the world. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And I watched that talk and, and that was something that shifted me sideways because for a while I'd felt the same way. I just wasn't able to articulate it. Um, and, and that was a real pivotal moment for me for saying, okay, what am I actually doing to help a brand new person, a beginner, someone who's truly overweight, someone who's really deconditioned, can I just get young, fit people a bit fitter? Is that all I can really do? You know, with what I with what I do. So the change of how I train and how I train other people and how I deliver my classes really, really shifted a, a, a lot after that talk that I watched from yours. So I owe you a, a big deal of gratitude for that, mate, because it was it was a real game changer for me, completely in how I in how I speak, my language, my operation. Um, and I can really, and I, and I can really see that person now, you know, and even if it's teaching a class, you know, I can really see that person and that struggled to get there or I'm, I'm at my class a little bit early and as people are walking in, I'm, I'm recognizing who might've had a bad day, who, who looks low in confidence, who just needs a high five or how you doing? You know, I, I take spare towels in, I, I learned that off, off Jackie Griffin at Les Mills New Lynn. For her RPM class, she always took in a few spare towels and a few spare pairs of socks because someone always rocked up and they forgot their towel or their socks. <laughs> and I was just like, that's just care. That's just caring yeah. for people. And that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that, that's it. I, I gave this towel and someone was like, so thankful. And it made their day. Mm. And it's just a simple gesture. But I, but I believe that's what we need to do a lot more of, you know, of, of, of recognizing these small little things in other people's daily lives. You know, it's not just the workout. They're going to get fit. They're going to get a workout. But but that's not what's going to create a difference in their life, you know. Well, it's interesting, you know, I'm going to have to wrap things up now. But I just think the one thing that's for the listener, hopefully what you've gained today is, because I have to think one of the most, I'm, I'm actually writing a new book right now, Matt, and it's kind of, it's the idea is your love exercise a year from now. And it's going to take a total beginner through a year journey where they love exercise. Right. But a big important part of it is choosing your right leader. Um, mm. You know, and because the book's not about people wanting to use me as their leader, the book is about finding a community, finding a movement you love, but finding great leaders. And, and hopefully, people listen to this today have gained some great insight because you're a great fitness leader, mate. And just the, the, that last point there, I walk in the room, I'm looking for an understanding of the needs of my people, and understanding it's not just, hey, they need a kick ass workout. Some people have had a shit day. Mm. So, you know, and it's, when we think about for those people who aren't exercising right now and listening to this, 
you know, it's the mats of the world you want to be surrounding yourself with. Is that is sure they need they could teach me the exercise, but they are putting themselves in vulnerable positions because they want to understand what it's like, and then they, they do walk in the room and kind of go, shit, this person needs, you know, I can see this person's in a bit of a shit day today, because if you can put these types of people around you, your chance of success goes massively through the roof, mm-hmm. and just the awareness, you know, like you've been you've been great today, mate, but I just, you know, and oh, I said, thanks, Matt, Matt said, do you want me to do any prep? And I said, mate. I just want to have yarn because you've got so much insight and I'm sure the <laughs> listeners have just even just little comments that you make when you, and I think this is an important thing for anybody who's listened to this is when choosing your fitness professional don't just grab the first person really spend some time understanding will this person be able to nurture me care for me guide mm-hmm. me and mentor me in a way that can allow me to actually have a long time love of this thing that we want to do um, and I just love the insights you've shared today because it's just been, it's a really good insight there mate Oh, thanks, man. I always ask about preparation because, like you know, I like to be prepared, and I'm always yeah. worried that I that I waffle too much or go off on a tangent and never quite answer the question. But what's happened is you've always been really good at listening to my few minutes of drivel and then picking out two or three really key points that are actually relevant. So it's been well, great. Well, no, because yeah, I think I think the thing is the value is the conversation, that. isn't it? Like the drivel because <laughs> it like you know we all connect a story don't we and so it's often in the story you know I, I kind of recap a little bit just to kind of as you do but to me yeah, cool. you know it's when we listen to other people's stories is when we really gain insight and so you know and, and, and when you when you've got that's someone something I, lo- I love about what, what we do and and like I guess at our level you know we, we don't get the opportunity as much now because we live in different countries and and even with the virus situation so many places on lockdown you know the, the opportunities might not be there to to physically get together as much as we used to yeah. but but you know we're lucky we've got this online place you know skype blue jeans zoom and that yeah. where we can stay connected and and i'm like you i love stories i love to hear how how someone got started in fitness you know so 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 why did i get started in fitness and why am i still doing it yeah. and someone else might have started and stopped or yeah. someone else never yeah. started and i think you know how did grant goes get into fitness how did Dan McDonough get into fitness? How did Bevan James Isles get into fitness? You know, how did Mid Thomas get into fitness? And something happened to all of us somewhere along the line that got us into this love and passion for what we do. And we're insanely passionate about sharing that with as many other people as possible. That's at the core of what we do. You know, whether it's having a coffee with someone, whether it's teaching them how to squat, whether it's asking how the day went, we're trying to share and passion with other people and make their day better. We're lucky that fitness is, is, is part of it. And, and for us, Les Mills Group Fitness has been a huge vehicle that we've, we've been given the opportunity to use to be able to reach more people. And, and I think that's exactly it, that, that members in your class, they're all on a journey. You know, Something happened in their life that made them decide to come into that class for the first time. Mm-hmm. Something you do might make them want to come back next week or in two days' time, or something you say or do might make them never come back. So I think we've, we've got a real... You know, it's it's a really important privileged position that we've got to take care of the people in our room in a in a way that's above and beyond, like you say, just delivering a workout. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in the industry we're getting there. We're, I'm hearing these conversations a lot more in fitness magazines. They're starting to talk a little bit about personal care, mental health, personal development. It's starting to move into this place where it's sociability, it's community, it's finding like-minded people, it's finding support mechanisms. And it's like you with the, the results from your Caps to 5K when people turned around and said the thing that was most important for them adhering to this program was their mate, yeah. the mate that they found. It wasn't Bevan James R being an amazing coach. It wasn't the nutrition program. And it was like, oh, wow. So the real key to your success is having that connection with another person in this program that means value outside of when you're doing our run. You know, you might go for a coffee on a Saturday afternoon. You might get together and have dinner on a Tuesday night. But you've made a new friend. You've made a connection. And that keeps you involved in this thing. And, and and that's something that I've really tried to do with my classes is connect the individuals with each other, not just with the music, the workout, you know, like the, the Les Mills way. It's it's more about that social community because I know that's what's going to keep you coming back week in and week out and then getting some results, feeling better, having a better quality of life, you know, being a better husband, father, lover, mother, brother, sister and all, all that good stuff. Hey, yeah, um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. If people want to follow you, where, where do they go? Um, so, so, see, I've got my Instagram, which is just my name, Thraxton, but then I put R-U-S on the end, Thraxtonius. Nice. <laughs> and it's the same, same with Twitter. I'll put, and I'll put a link to it in the show it's notes. It's basically when I was younger, I wanted to be Italian, and I wanted to be an Italian superstar stud footballer <laughs> with long hair. So at university, we all changed our names to make it sound Italian. So I was Matthias Thraxtonius. <laughs> 
it's absolutely cool. It, there's always a little boy inside us, isn't there, mate? Oh, we, you we never, never lose that. Never let it go. Hey, mate, thank you so much for yeah, your time. Yeah. I, I love, I love talking much. to you. Lots of great insight in there. Um, I'll put a link to Matt's um, Instagram if you want to contact him through that. It's all good. And just keep doing the good work, mate. It's great talking. Oh, awesome to talk to you, mate. Thank you for the opportunity and, and good luck to everyone out there on their fitness journeys. Rightio, team. Hopefully, you got a lot from that. There, just uh, I was kind of saying at the end there. You know, you you got to be pretty wise in how you pick when it comes to your fitness professionals. And you can see, just getting someone like Matt on your team who has that deeper level, and it comes from experience. You know, like as he admitted, and as I'll admit, early on in the career, it was very much a self-guided journey, a bit more of my own ego. Um, but over time, you really, really start to learn what actually creates success for all types of fitness people, but I just love that perspective you have, even just when he said when I walk in the room, and I, I always think about the mental health of the people in the room as well, and you know, those are the people you want on your team, that's that's who you got to choose to be on your team, so um, you know, just think that, you know, when you choose your fitness, often what happens when people join a gym, or they, you know, they go to somewhere like that, they can just get given somebody, and you know, sometimes that could be a good choice, but I think your job is to just think of that first interaction as an audition. Is this person actually going to be a good investment? Because you are going to get a PT or you're going to get a fitness professional to help you. You need to make sure that they can do the job. Um, and so, you know, just hopefully gain some good insight from that, just from the understanding around what it takes and what you're looking for in choosing a great fitness professional. So if you want to follow Matt, I'll put a link to his Instagram in the show notes on the bevanjamesisles.com. You can check him out right there. Now, if you want to support the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com, look at podcasts, and look at support me, and you can support me and become a patron of the show. Again, thank you to all the patrons. Other ways you can support the show is by doing a review. And actually, Emily C2412, which I'm pretty sure is Emily Cargill, who's one of the runners in my running group. She's got, thank you so much for your podcast, Bev, and I've been listening to a range of podcasts since way back when I first got my first iPod. I thought my regular listens covered plenty of broad range of topics, but when I started getting back into running a year ago, I started looking for something to get me a bit more motivation and found your podcast. Your show has really helped me with tips, tricks, and behaviors to help me with my health and fitness, but it's really helped me with other areas of my life that I hadn't expected. Every episode ends up making me reflect on some aspect of my life and what I might do differently to improve, but I never left feeling that I need to do a major life overhaul. That's quite a nice comment, isn't it? Uh, the suggestion and reflections are manageable, positive, and always end up feeling motivated to make some small positive change. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you, Emily. That's uh, really cool. So if you want to just support me and what I do, just another way you can do it is put a review on your podcatcher. Uh, also, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Bevan James Isles. It's all pretty clear there. Or go to my website. You can find it there. Anyway, that's this week's show done and dusted. Thanks, for Matt, for coming on the show. As always, keep being you, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.